shall we come before the Lord in prayer? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord our God, we give thank thee for this opportunity again on this thy day to draw nigh unto thee, our glorious, our great, our heavenly Father. We do thank thee that we can come, not because of anything that we have done or ever could do, not because of any deserving that we may ever know in and of ourselves, but we come in that name which is above every name, the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and how we thank thee for him and for all that he is and for all that he has done, for all that he continues to do for us, moment by moment. We thank thee that he ever lives to intercede for us at thy right hand. We thank thee that his shed blood goes on cleansing from all sin. We thank thee that his righteousness avails for all his people and that in him we are accepted in the beloved. Grant us that sense of acceptance, O Lord. May we feel and know that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may our hearts be stirred by thy spirit with our affections set on things above that we may worship thee worthily and that we may have ears to hear what thou wilt say unto us. Accept us in this morning hour, we pray. May all that is said and done be to his lasting glory. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is number 59, God is in his temple. Hymn number 59.
from the prophet Haggai and chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1. This is a wonderful passage, and it speaks of Christ coming to his temple. Or we would understand that, obviously, in our New Testament days, Christ coming to his local church. Haggai, chapter 2. We're just going to read the first nine verses. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying... Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes, in comparison of it, as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Going to sing our next hymn. It's number 662. Come every thankful heart. Number 662.
Testament Bible reading, we're turning to the letter to the Philippians and chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll read from verse 8. When the apostle says, finally, we know because he said finally in chapter 3 and verse 1. When the apostle says, finally, he doesn't mean my last point. What he means is, finally, we've got to that which I was so burdened to tell you. Of course, he's been so burdened to say a lot, which is why there are a lot of finalists. But anyway, finally, in verse 8, chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And amen. And may the Lord be pleased to add his richest blessings to the reading of his own word. Grant as much light and help, encouragement and instruction for his glory. For his name's sake. 
Amen. We come before him in prayer again. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord our God, we do bow low in thy most holy presence, and we do thank thee that we can approach unto thee. Thou who art high above the heavens, the one who did speak and it was done, the one who commanded and it stood fast, the God of creation. We thank thee that thou art the God of providence, that thou doest all things well, and thou art able to give that wonderful undertaking, that promise to thy people, that thou wilt work all their ways together, all things together, for their good, those who are loved of God and called according to his purpose. We thank thee for thy wisdom and thy strength, which we can bring to pass that which will indeed work to the good of every single one of thy people at all times and in all places. We scarce can take it in, O Lord. Thy ways are so high above our ways and thy thoughts above our thoughts. When we consider thy greatness, not only in creation, in providence, but in salvation too, O Lord, our breath is taken from us. We fall amazed. Not only art thou from everlasting to everlasting, the one true living God, but thou art a God whose attributes of justice and love and mercy are so wonderfully seen in that so great salvation provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for him of whom we have sung, who came into this world, who counted it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. We thank thee that he came and was made in the likeness of man. We thank thee that he took upon himself the form of a servant, that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And how we thank thee that he came to declare his heavenly Father. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Father, the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he hath declared him. He would say, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, how we thank thee that we see all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We thank thee that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We thank thee he was holy and harmless, undefiled. He was separate from sinners. And yet, O oh Lord, he knew what it was to be hungry, to be deserted and disappointed. We read of the great sighs that he heaved as he looked over Jerusalem and as he wept over that city and as he wept at the grave of Lazarus. O oh Lord, how we thank thee for this wonder that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And how we thank thee that if we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say this, to know him whom to know is life eternal. And if we are those who know something of that eternal life within, oh Lord, how we praise and bless thee for the great God that thou art and the great things thou hast done. With the psalmist we would cry on this, the Lord's day, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Gracious God, we do thank thee for the freedoms that we have to meet together in thy house. We thank thee that thy good hand has restrained the advance of lawlessness and godlessness in this land for many years now. 
But, O oh Lord, we thank thee that although we see those clouds of lawlessness and godlessness arising, we thank thee that thou hast given us that wonderful promise that when, as it were, the enemy comes in like a flood, when there are those floods of lawlessness and godlessness, then the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. And we thank thee that still in this land we are able to raise up the standard of thy word. And we do thank thee, not only for those who minister and teach and preach, those who give faithful witness, for those organizations that thou hast raised up, that they may contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints, and that gospel peace may continue. We would therefore pray that thou wilt bless those whom thou hast set in authority. We pray for her, our queen and her family. We pray that if it be the case that she knows something of saving faith, O oh Lord, bless her testimony. But we do pray that thou wilt bless her government and her ministers, the prime minister, ministers of parliament and state. Overrule and superintend all their thoughts and deliberations. Bring to pass that which is pleasing and right in thy sight. May we indeed know what it is to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we see that will worked out even before our very eyes. We thank thee that we have seen uh, strongholds pulled down that there have been nations closed to the gospel where now thy people can freely meet. And again, we beseech thee, O Lord, that thou wilt still continue to be at work and that in lands hostile and closed to the gospel, there may again be that freedom granted, not only to meet to worship on the Lord's day, but to proclaim far and wide the good news that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you remember those of thy people who do not have these freedoms? Bless them this day, O Lord, and meet with them, and grant them special measures of grace and comfort. But we thank thee too that we have this freedom of access, that we can come into the very presence of the Most High God, the thrice-blessed, one true living God, and we can come without fear of condemnation. We have this access in Christ by the Spirit, and, O oh Lord, how we thank Thee for this foretaste of our heavenly inheritance. We thank Thee for that eternal inheritance. We thank Thee for that which is undefiled, incorrupted, incorruptible, that fadeth not away, that which is reserved in heaven for You. And how we thank Thee that we have that desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And while we are below, O oh Lord, grant us strength and grace that we may be the people that thou wouldst have us be, to live, to speak and serve, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, to adorn the doctrine in our conversation, in our daily behavior. May we be used of thee, just as thou wilt and when and where. And hear our cries and hear our prayers, O Lord. We do pray for those of families especially, but friends also, who know not the Lord. O oh Lord, may we not grow weary in well-doing, for thou hast promised that in due time ye shall reap. We do pray that our prayers may be heard on high, and even if not in our lifetime, O oh Lord, may it be that there is a humbling, that there is a conviction, that there is a turning from self and from this world to seek and find a Lord and a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for wonders that we have seen, we thank Thee that our faith is not in any way failing. And, O oh Lord, we pray that because Thou art a gracious God, Thou wilt show grace. Because Thou art a merciful Saviour, Thou wilt show mercy in salvation. 
and do that which we cannot do, O Lord. Thy hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. And we pray that by thy saving power manifest in the lives of those for whom we plead and for whom we supplicate, for whom we intercede, gracious God, do great things, for thou art a great God, and with our God nothing shall be impossible. Do pray that thou wilt bless those who go through difficult times. We thank thee that even in the presence of fiery trials and deep waters, I will be with thee. The words in the scripture, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And we thank thee for the comforts that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are those who go through times of testing and weariness and affliction, gracious God, we thank thee. Thou art the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. And we pray that thou wilt grant those rich comforts and mercies in plenty this day. Gracious God, bless the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, both near and far, those who worship in spirit and in truth, those who call and command, men, women, young people, sinners to repentance and bless thy word as it goes forth this day. Accompany it with blessing. May it accomplish that for which it is sent forth and not return unto thee void. Bless those who gather the young and instruct them in thy ways. May they know some profit and some success for thy sake. And we do pray that thou wilt grant us to be lifted above perhaps fears and concerns regarding maybe even the future. Lord, thou knowest all things. Nothing is hid from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And although we confess that we are not the people that we should be, we thank thee that thou dost see us and thou dost accept us for the Saviour's sake. Lord, we thank thee that the future is known to thee too. Grant us that confidence that thou wilt be with us and that all things will be worked together for good and that thy glory will be seen and that even if there are hidden purposes, they shall be revealed to us in due course. So, Lord, grant us strength and encouragement. Bless this day those who are away from us, those who worship in other places with thy people. Lord, bless them, keep them, return them to us, O Lord. And may we hear them tell of all that thou hast done with them and to them, all that they have seen and heard of thee. We do pray that thou wilt bless those unable to gather with us this morning, perhaps because of advancing years, the frailty of the flesh. Lord, be with them where they are. Grant them the memory of a word, something from the scripture, and may they be encouraged and blessed. And those who recover, perhaps from surgical uh, procedure, gracious God, we pray that thou wilt grant uh, gaining strength and that they may be with us soon as shall please thee. Lord, bless this local church, we pray. Do bless those whom thou hast given responsibility for its order and for its operation. We do pray that thou wilt provide that which is lacking. Lord, we do walk by faith and not by sight. The Lord, thou knowest all things. And thou dost walk among the churches. Thou dost say to each of the local churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know thy ways. And we thank thee that nothing is hidden from thee in respect of the needs and wants represented among us. O oh Lord, help us therefore to wait upon thee, knowing the wonderful promise, there shall be no lack to those that wait upon our God. 
hear us, O God. Bless thy word to us in this morning hour. Speak to us, stir us, help us, lift us above earthly fears and concerns. And may all that is said and done be to thy presence and to thy lasting glory. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. With the psalmist we would cry, they are so many. But we thank thee that where sin has abounded, grace has much more abounded. And we thank thee for our so great salvation. Hear us then, O God. Attend unto our prayers. Do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be held aloft and magnified in this place. May the word of life ever be held forth to thy present and lasting glory. Hear us, O God. Forgive us our sins. For we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we ask all for his sake. Amen. We sing again, this time number 793. Oh, for a closer walk with God. Number 793.
just say thank you uh, very much for your warm welcome and your very kind invitation. I was trying to think on my way uh, up. I don't think I have been here since my uh, dear Helen uh, was called to glory and is now with the Lord, not to lead the worship and minister the word on the Lord's Day anyway. So let me thank you very much for your kind prayers and your uh, thoughts and help during that uh, time. And please be assured of my thoughts and prayers for you and for the work and for the needs, as I'm aware of them, in this place too. And it's wonderful to know that fellowship in the gospel, isn't it? Even if we're separated by hundreds of miles, it certainly seemed like hundreds of miles yesterday driving up from Plymouth, but anyway, even if we are separated by distance, we're never far from one another in prayer. And uh, thank you for your kindness. Well, I'd like us to um, turn to the prophet Haggai because it seemed that this would be an appropriate uh, subject for us this morning. It wasn't what I'd intended. I know I used to wonder when I was a young lad, you know, I wasn't the Lord's and I didn't come from a Christian family, but my mum wanted me to go to church and the minister used to say all sorts of things and I never understood them. But he used to say things like, as I was coming down the pulpit steps this morning, the Lord laid on my heart to speak on this particular subject. And I thought, that seems very inefficient to me. If he spent hours and hours preparing something, and then it has to be jettisoned, because on the steps into the pulpit, the Lord has led him to something else. Well, I now understand that it doesn't quite work like that. That actually, there are many things that are upon the heart and mind at any one time, but sometimes the Lord does lead in a particular direction, and it seemed very appropriate, and I hope you won't mind, and if you do, you must forgive me. So let me say that this is with us in mind, rather than you at Gordon Road, Halsham in mind. But I thought it would be good this morning, just for encouragement in a day of small things. Encouragement in a day of small things. And how we do need encouragements, don't we? There is much to discourage us in these days. And, of course, at the time of Haggai, that was exactly the situation. Well, actually, the situation at the time of Haggai was far worse than the situation in which we find ourselves today. So if these were the encouragements that the Lord sent for the people in the time of Haggai, then they should be more than sufficient to encourage us in the days in which we live. Haggai was one of two prophets who, as you know, was raised up by the Lord because the work of building the temple had stalled. It had been stalled for a number of years. And the Lord sent two prophets, Haggai and uh, Zechariah, to preach, to stir, to get the people back into an optimistic and faithful frame of mind and to be diligently applied in the work that he had called them to. This prophecy of Haggai, Haggai goes first really, I think in order, before Zechariah, and it all takes place in the space of just a few months. The first prophecy is in chapter 1, we'll look at that in a moment, and then there are three in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, they are all encouragements. They are warm and precious and memorable and stirring. So, first of all, we need to set the scene. and do that very briefly. And uh, in Haggai, uh, we're introduced to a people, a people who have been given great blessing, great opportunity, but a people who were languishing. Why were they languishing? 
Well, because the enemies had gained the ascendancy. They had been promised much, but they were not realizing it. They were not living in the light of it. They had been overwhelmed by discouragements and by problems and by difficulties. We may be able to identify with that in our personal or family or in our local church lives, perhaps even in the nation and the situation in which we find ourselves now. What was the situation? Well, the situation, as you know, is the people had been in captivity. And a man called Cyrus had been raised up by God, as had been prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And many people say this. I don't believe this, actually, even though it is the majority view. Not always the case that the majority must be right. They say that Cyrus was a remarkable man, the most powerful man in the land. He was the emperor of the Medan-Persian coalition. And uh, we read of him in Isaiah chapter 45 and so forth. And he was a very uh, wise man because his concern was to send people back, not hold them captive in Babylon. That had been Nebuchadnezzar's policy. He would take the, uh, the cream of the young men and he would train them in Chaldean and Babylonian uh, ways and understanding, religion, custom and creeds, and then send them back and they would rule the people according to Chaldean insight and understanding. The historians tell us, and many Bible commentators too, that Cyrus just happened to be a rather different man. He would uh, much rather let the people go. And as long as they didn't cause him any trouble, he would give them the freedom that they needed. And therefore, the Lord God knew that this was going to happen, and therefore it's prophesied of him in Isaiah. And we can read of Cyrus, my shepherd, in those uh, chapters in the mid-40s in Isaiah. However, there is an alternative uh, way of looking at that. I would suggest this is the right way. And that is that Daniel was in the palace when Cyrus, now Daniel was an old man by now, but when Cyrus uh, first set foot in Babylon and Daniel took to him the scroll of Isaiah and said, look here, you have been named by my God. And my God has said that you will set the captives go. Let them go, and you will let them build their own temples and worshipping places. And if you should defy him, the same will happen to you as happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And he would tell him about Nebuchadnezzar being humbled for a number of years. The same will happen to you as happened to Belshazzar. And he would tell him of Belshazzar and the writing on the wall, and so on and so forth. And so it was not the case, therefore... The God knew that Cyrus was going to be benevolent and generous and let the people go and build the temple. It was Cyrus realized who it was that he had to do with and that the living God who had proved himself again and again, in Daniel 4 verse 35, we know the verse, that he will have his way among the armies of the heavens above, the inhabitants of the earth beneath. Who can stay his hand? Who can say, what doest thou? And Cyrus, because he was a wise man, he understood that the living God had a cause, had a work for him to do. And even though, as far as we know, there's no reason to think that he ever did come to believe and call upon God for salvation, he realized that it was far better to work in harmony with this God rather than oppose him. And so the last verses of 2 Chronicles, as you know, are the same as the early verses of Ezra chapter 1, as you know, because we there see this confirmation that God is directing all things to his own glory, even moving 
in nations seemingly hostile to him and his truth for the sake of his purposes, his glory, and his people. Now, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? And in our day, we hear all sorts of things about the prime minister or about uh, standards and ethics and goodness knows what. But don't we take comfort in this, that not, none can step outside that which God has ordained. The powers that be are ordained of God, as the scripture tells us, and therefore we can rejoice. It may not be what we want, and we may say, I didn't vote for this, but nonetheless, this is what our God has determined. And it brings glory to him. And therefore, we can rejoice even in difficult, even in uncertain times. And these times were uncertain. Well, Cyrus, having seen, if you pardon the pun, writing on the wall, he uh, sent a decree. The people returned with some joy under Ezra. We can read of this in the early chapters of Ezra. And they started to build and they rebuilt the foundation of the house of God in Jerusalem. That would have been in about 530. Numbers are always difficult because of the way years are numbered. So I would always go with 536, but we may want to go with uh, other dates. That's not a problem. So Nebuchadnezzar first attacked Jerusalem and took Daniel into captivity in 605, 70 years later. The people have rebuilt the foundations of the house of God. And we can read of this in the book of Ezra. So if it's helpful, again, just to set the scene in the book of Ezra, we, uh, let me just read uh, from chapter 3, just as few verses as possible. In Ezra chapter 3, in verse 11, they've set the foundation stones, and we read this. They sang together. In praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great joy when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and the chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. Why did they weep? Well, they wept because, as we read in Haggai chapter 2, because this new house was not worthy of comparison with the former house of God, the one they remembered, the temple of Solomon. And therefore, they wept loud. They had some passion about this. This was going to be perhaps blessing on a greatly reduced scale at best. So not surprisingly, they need to be encouraged. Secondly, after they had celebrated or they had rejoiced at the foundation stones being laid for the temple, news goes back to uh, headquarters, back to uh, Cyrus's successors, and he stops the building. And therefore, the people are there. The city is uh, ruined. They have the foundation stones laid. The wise old heads, or many of them, will be saying, even when it's finished, it's, going to, it's not going to be a patch on what it was like back in Jerusalem. And they lose heart, and they simply focus on themselves. And therefore, Haggai and Zechariah are raised up some years later, it's now 520 BC, and they're raised up to stir the people 
and to complete the temple. Nehemiah's coming along in a few years as well. He'll have a burden to build the walls, but that's not yet. The focus is on the temple. And therefore, the people, they're surrounded by enemies. Perhaps I can just read from Ezra chapter 6, just a few verses. Perhaps just verse 14. The elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. That's four years. So it will be finished in 516, and it was started... When Ezra got back in 536, it was stopped till 520. The prophets come along and they begin to preach. Now, you don't have to remember any of that, which is wonderful, isn't it? Very, very pleased about that. And no tests afterwards. But what it is, is this. We see that the people had good cause to be downcast. They had good cause to be disappointed. They were surrounded by enemies. The city was in ruins. They got the foundation stones laid. But even those who should be giving encouragement were downhearted and weeping because even if everything progressed to plan and could be as good as it could be, it would still not be a patch on what the old temple was like. So even the best was a cause for discouragement, let alone the situation they were in at the moment. Now we can identify with that, I would suggest. And we can perhaps think back. Now there are some uh, very wise uh, Heads here, which are, have seen more than I have seen, but I've seen a few things. I was very privileged to be brought up just as the gospel tide was going out in the Midlands. And as some of you know, who come from north of the Watford Gap, perhaps uh, Christian things continued uh, faithfully on the old template, as we might put it, a little longer in the north than the south. But anyway, we can talk about that later. But I can still remember... I, it was, I can still remember the surprise to me when I found that not everyone went to Sunday school because most of the people in my class at school went to Sunday school. It was a church-going age. There were a number of good evangelical churches in Leicester. And to realize, it was about the age of 11 and 12, I think, when I started secondary school, that actually this was no longer the majority position. The tide was going out. And if you said to me that one day we will see a time where there are more youngsters or more older folk or more families attending good gospel preaching sound churches than there were in those days, I would find it very hard to believe. I think those of you who look as though you probably know what I'm talking about would probably think the same. But that's not a cause for discouragement, is it? Because we have some wonderful promises and this is the spirit, as it were of Haggai that we need to catch in our day. So, in the time left, I want to look at these three prophecies in chapter 2. They come in fairly quick order. As I say, everything takes place over about a four-month period. And it, uh, first of all, and we read the first of them, chapter 2 and verses 1 to 9, there's some wonderful verses in this uh, portion of Scripture. First of all, notice, for I am with you, verse 4. In verse 7, I will fill this house with glory. And in verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, 
going to interpret that as peace uh, between God and man. There will be salvation. There will be that wonderful peace that the Lord Jesus Christ promised. Not as the earth, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Be not troubled, neither be, as it were, afraid. There is great glory. There is great peace. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself will make himself known in this place. Now, that's a wonderful source of encouragement, isn't it? In fact, what's being said is that the glory of this latter place, this latter house, will be greater than the glory of the former house. And we see that and we understand it for a number of reasons. So, for example, we could look at verse 7. All nations... The desire of all nations shall come. It's not uh, unanimous, but most people would see that to be the Lord Jesus Christ, as you may know from our uh, uh, much-loved and oft-sung Christmas uh, hymn, Come, Desire of Nations. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think that this is all going to be a little bit discouraging. There's going to be greater glory, there's going to be greater peace, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make himself known in this place. This is cause for glory. Now, this is a bit of a comparison, isn't it? If we did read chapter 1, and uh, we probably haven't time, but let me commend chapter 1 to you, because it's the beginning of the prophecy, and the first prophecy comes, and the challenge is to, it's there in verse 5 and verse 6 of chapter 1, to consider your ways. Sorry, verse 5 and verse 7. Consider your ways. The people had settled down. They were concentrating on their own homes. The Lord is going to challenge them. Shouldn't you be attending to the house of God rather than to your own sealed houses, as Haggai puts it? That's a very interesting phrase, isn't it, in verse 4. Is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? And the marginal tell us that that sealed is panelled and overlaid. It rather sounds as though it's a little bit more than necessary, a little more time and attention being given to it. The house of God is waste and overlooked and forsaken. And yet our individual concerns are paramount and our effort and our time is given. And we can understand uh, how that is the case. And sometimes perhaps we do feel a little bit sorry for ourselves and feel that if we turned more of our time and attention to things of self and things of this world, our case might be a little more easy. Well, that's the attitude that the people had found. But the result was a very, very disappointing one. Their harvests were failing. It's a very graphic picture in verse 6 of chapter 1. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You're never satisfied. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but no one's warm. You earn wages, and it goes into a bag with holes. In verse 11, the Lord's call for a drought upon the land. The corn, the wine, the oil, it's all disappointing. Life is filled with disappointments. Why? Because you have concentrated on your sealed and panelled houses to the neglect of the house of God. Now, sometimes, of course, we do need to be reproved, don't we? And no one's suggesting... <laughs> anyway, mustn't get distracted. No one's suggesting that we should live in hovels with holes in the roof and threadbare clothing. 
But we do remember the New Testament scripture, don't we? Having food and raiment, and we would interpret raiment to mean covering for the body as well as covering for the home. But food and raiment therewith, let us be content. And never being, and never being content, always having to buy something new or do something new, something to do with the house or the garden or the car or whatever it may be. Having a sort of restlessness to further self and to, if there's any energy, time, or money left over to think about the house of God, rather than the other way around. And the result, from a spiritual point of view, is that we are not satisfied. That's why I chose that hymn for us to sing. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Or that blessedness when first I knew the Lord, depending on our hymn book. It wasn't like this when I was converted. Do you remember that first flush? I still can. I was only 11, but I can remember that flush of enthusiasm when I first understood salvation. When I, as it were, saw with my mind's eye the suffering Savior on Calvary's cross. I can remember starting to read in the book of Psalms and underlining the words that seemed to mean something to me and with a rather naive childishness noticing that almost every word was underlined after I'd got through uh, some of the Psalms. Do you remember that? Is it still there? Or have something like the thorns in the parable of the sower begun to choke out that early enthusiasm and desire for the Lord? Well, we know ourselves, don't we? What Haggai is saying is if you're like that, it's because the priorities need a little bit of a review. In fact, actually a fundamental root and branch review. You need to switch things round again and put the Lord first. He's promised to be with you. And here's the first of the blessings that if your focus goes back onto the house of the Lord and away from your house or your houses then you will know great glory. You won't be able to stay away. You'll know great peace, and you will know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ among you when you worship. In verse 7, I will shake all nations. There'll be people from all peoples, tribes, nations, and tongues. The Lord Jesus Christ himself will be among you, and there will be glory in this place. Notice it's not being filled with people, Although that may be the case and has been over history, but it will be filled with glory. We'd rather have the peace, the glory, and the presence of God in the house, wouldn't we, than a vast number of people, but without the peace, the glory, and the presence of God, which is where so many go so wrong today, so sadly, and focus on numbers and noise rather than power and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second prophecy comes from chapter, in chapter 2 from verse 10 to verse 19. And perhaps again, if we look at that uh, final verse there, I will bless you. Now what had happened here was the, uh, it's a, a bit of a, a, a detailed prophecy this, but essentially the first part of the prophecy is this. If you are very good and very seeking in holiness and righteousness, is that infectious? Will others catch it? The answer, of course, is no. But if you are filled with perhaps uh, a lack of enthusiasm and if uh, perhaps it is uh, evil, as it were, 
Will that be infectious and will that be caught? And of course, the answer is yes, it will. In fact, if I can find it, John Gill has a very good comment here, which is very helpful to us. Pollution is more easily and more extensively conveyed than holiness. And again, it's perhaps not so much pollution that's in mind here as unbelief. There's a lack of trust. There's a saying, how can God promise that the glory will be greater than it has been already? We just don't see that. We can't understand that. This is a day of small things. There's a church anniversary and... uh, I have to be very careful, so I don't want you to be able to identify this, but I do go quite often to this anniversary, as uh, it's possible, and the, uh, one of the elders there, he stands up every single anniversary, right from uh, uh, when I first attended, and he says, and we have been able over another year to be faithful. We remember, he says, the Lord never calls us to be fruitful, but he does call us to be faithful. And I used to think to myself, is this right? And, of course, where do we read, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, you know where we read it. It's in the parable of the talents or the pounds. And who are those who are commended for being faithful? Well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, you know the answer, don't you? It's the one who multiplied his five talents and had another five. Or the one who had two and multiplied them and had another two. It's the one who had one and brought ten, or ten and brought a hundred, or whatever it may be. Faithfulness means fruitfulness. Now, sometimes we just need to get out. Of course we should hold fast, and of course we should guard the truth. But if we are faithful, well done, good and faithful servant, doesn't just mean that you've held on through thick and thin but it means that you have brought forth fruit. Now, what is being said here in verse 10 to verse 19 is this. If you will believe this, then you will find that your ways are richly blessed. And we can see this very quickly in verse 15. Now I pray you consider from this day and upward. It is a difficult passage because of the, uh, the word orders here. And this day is actually this day years gone by, not this day today. That first yes, this day. Consider this. From this day, when you first arrived and onwards... Before a stone was laid, in those days, there was no blessing, was there? You came to draw out, as it were, 20 measures, there were but 10. You came to draw out 50 vessels, and there were but 20. In verse 17, there was blasting and mildew, there was hail. So that you would turn to me, but you wouldn't, and therefore you knew these Failed harvests, you know, a barrenness, a spiritual barrenness. But now, the Lord says in verse 18, now consider from this day forward. And from this day forward, again, it's in the present time period, the seed is in the ground, it's not in the barn. In verse 19, the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate, they've not yet brought forth. But if you will trust me, If you will put me first, if you will believe me, then I will bless you. No more blasting, no more failed harvest, no more disappointments. 
in your own lives, there will be blessing. In the local church, in the temple, there will be glory, peace, and the presence of Christ. In your own individual lives, you'll know advance. You'll know a great provision. You'll know blessing and help. That's why, you know, we, um, we read that passage in Philippians. And if I may, just in a minute or two, just look at that passage. So many promises in the scripture, you know, are conditional This promise is conditional. Now, a lot of promises aren't conditional, of course. The promises of God that he will bless, that those whom he's loved in eternity past will be saved, that the Savior's work will never be in vain, and he will see the travail of his soul, and he will be satisfied. These are promises which are sure and certain. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That is an absolute unconditional promise. But there are a lot of conditional promises. This is one in Philippians chapter 4. It's very familiar. Verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise that is. But it's conditional, is it? Well, yes, it is. Let's just have a quick look at it. Look at verse 10, for example. I rejoiced in the Lord that now at the last... Your care of me hath flourished. He's telling people who cared for him. Verse 15. Now ye Philippians know in the beginning of the gospel, no church communicated, but ye only. So verse 19 comes to people who have been concerned for the well-being of the apostle and the gospel work in the south of the country in Achaia. To a church, even if other churches haven't done this, they have, perhaps to their own cost, again and again, once and again, as we read in verse 16, once and again supplied to his necessity. It's to them that this promise comes. Those who give, they shall receive. It's as is taught in the book of Proverbs. Those who water shall be watered. Once uh, <coughs> saw a sermon from a, a man in Bristol that some of you may know, and his sermon was this: "Giving is good for you." It seems so anti-intuitive, doesn't it? Especially in the materialistic age we live in. The more you give, the more you get. It's the principle of proverbs: the more you water, the more you are watered. The more you, as it were, give out and sow, the more you reap. It's a wonderful promise but it is conditional and that's exactly what's being said in Haggai the Lord will bless but you do need to put him first you will be blessed in practical in physical ways and I don't think there's anything the matter at all in talking about health and strength and other provisions that are needful and it may not be delivery from affliction trial and tragedy but it means you will be blessed in them You'll know the presence of the Lord, his enabling, his closeness. And perhaps you will be able to succeed and be a help to others because you have put the Lord first. And what's being said here in Haggai 2 is it comes and it's in connection with belief. We, re- we sing, don't we? Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that's sprinkled with the blood so freely shed for me. We hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. 
I'm meek, lowly in heart. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. Now, I don't know. Someone has asked me uh, if I'm ever going to uh, write anything, and I doubt if I ever will. I can't imagine how you ever get time to write anything. But anyway, if I did ever write anything, I think I would write about the great wisdom that we knew when we were young, even if we weren't believers. We knew in children's choruses. Now, this is a children's chorus. This, I was taught this was a children's chorus. This is a wonderful hymn. Trust and obey. There's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. This is one of the verses. You'll know it well. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the love he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. This is the lesson of Philippians 4. It's a lesson of Haggai. We must trust and obey. Put him first. And then we'll know the favors that he bestows, the joy that he shows. Now, finally, and in no time, from verse 20 to verse 23, it's the third and it's the final, and it is a wonderful promise. And it concerns this man, Zerubbabel, the leader. Zerubbabel's an interesting man, don't worry. We're not going to do a quick biography of Zerubbabel. But just a quick verse. If we just look at chapter 1 and verse 12, after Haggai and Zechariah have been prophesying, in verse 12 of chapter 1, who was it who obeyed the voice of the Lord their God? It was Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek. They heard the words of the prophet and the people followed Zerubbabel's example. Verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And at the end of that verse, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Is this a wonderful promise? Is it promising that Zerubbabel, in verse uh, 23, will be a type a forerunner or a foreshadowing of Christ. Yes, that's what it means, and will make thee as a signet. It's like a signet ring. Zerubbabel will be confirmed to you as a forerunner, as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, rather like David was. Read in Ezekiel, what will the Savior be like? Well, he's actually called David. Think of David. That's what he'll be like. You'll have Zerubbabel with you. What a wonderful privilege that is. He's like a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have people among you who will be so filled with the spirit of the living God. You'll have people among you who so, uh, are so clothed with Christ-likeness. You'll have people among you being fitted for glory. Not people who can perhaps gabble in unknown supposed languages or people who can claim to do miracles and all sorts of other shallow things, but deep, meaningful, purposeful things. You'll have people of character. You'll have people of proven worth. You'll have people worthy to be compared with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this respect, they follow in his steps. They do his works. They follow in his ways. Do you remember when Peter and John appeared before the council? Shortly after they started preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, the council took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? It's been wonderful to come together on the Lord's Day 
I'm sure you do. And you know that you're in the Lord's house and the Lord is present here. This is a place of glory. It's a place of peace. It's a place of pleasantness for here my friends and brethren dwell, as the hymn writer puts it. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased to come and visit. Well, three promises. If you will put me first, if you will continue to build this house, then there will be greater blessing yet. There'll be greater trophies of grace. There'll be greater comforts of the Spirit of God. There'll be greater foretastes of heaven. Perhaps I dare just... We don't have to worry about this. You know. Do you remember the Lord Jesus Christ said to his people? He told them he was going to go to his heavenly father, John 14, and they were very sorry. And something I'm sure a lot of you had to work through, as I have in measure, very sad to be bereaved and to see someone go to be with the Lord. And you do miss them every waking hour, don't you? But you know the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples that uh, he was going to his heavenly father. And after uh, uh, the discussion about uh, Philip, say, how can we know where you go and how do we know the way? The Lord comes back to this towards the end of John chapter 14 and he says this, when I said I was going to go to the Father, you should have rejoiced. Not been very sad. <laughs> I think, how can I manage without you? You should have rejoiced. Why? Well, they should have rejoiced, he says. Because I go to my father, and my father is greater than I. Think of the great joy before the Lord Jesus Christ returning to his father. That should have made us pleased. We should be pleased that those who perhaps don't walk with us here below now walk with the Savior above in a better place with greater comforts and promises. And if we're in the Lord, we'll be there too. Before the blink of an eye, I suspect. But you remember the Lord Jesus Christ said this, and greater works shall ye do because I go to my Father. And we think, just a minute, walking on the water, feeding people, 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fishes, greater works, raising Lazarus from the dead, greater works. That must be one of the most testing verses in the Bible to understand. How can I do anything greater than the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, we can understand that, can't we? Because every one of those 5,000 men and the women and children who were fed with the loaves and bread, they were hungry again. They needed feeding. That's why they followed him, as John 6 goes on to tell us. Think of poor old Lazarus. Wow. He had to die all over again. I think dying once must be pretty grim, but he had to die twice. Poor Lazarus. And to bring him back from a far better place, poor Lazarus. Greater works, walking on water. Well, who benefits from walking on water if we would do it? We would probably be the greatest sufferer if we could walk on water. We wouldn't be able to cope with the adulation and the pride and the self-satisfaction, uh, perhaps, and the self-promotion. What works can we do that are greater? We can speak to souls. We can bring a word of encouragement or mercy. We can speak of the Savior. Just think of a soul saved. That's a greater work, isn't it? Than feeding 5,000 with fish and loaves or walking on water. 
Surely bringing someone, as it were, being an instrument to bring someone from death to life is a greater work than bringing someone perhaps from uh, death to life in a physical sense again. Yeah, greater works. It was Peter that would preach at Pentecost, not Christ, when 3,000 were... It was Peter that would preach at Solomon's porch. Greater works shall ye do. Well, to have greater blessing and greater comforts, greater glory and greater peace, and in a sense, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in a greater way. Why are we so discouraged? We are, aren't we? Because it seems that we're small. Well, these are encouragements for a day of small things. And if they worked in Haggai's time, it seems to me they ought to work in ours. So we should be encouraged. The Lord is with us. He's in this place. He grants those savers of his presence, whether it's in peace and joy, the fruits of the Spirit evident among us, individual lives changed uh, in time but for eternity, wonderful promises, and no lack to those whose trust is in him. Well, may we be encouraged. May we face the future with a godly, humble, selfless, Christ-reliant confidence. And may we prove these things for his glory. Amen. We're going to sing our last hymn. It's number 370. Light up this house with glory, Lord. Number 370.
let's all pray together. Oh Lord our God, we do thank thee for the promises that are given to us in the scripture. We thank thee for those promises which are not conditional upon us, for our comfort, even in trying times. Thou wilt never leave us, nor forsake us. But we do thank thee too that there are promises, if we will trust thee and walk by faith. And we thank thee for those promises of thy presence and of thy power, that thou wilt indeed bless us, and that thou canst bless us with all blessing, according to riches in grace by Christ Jesus. O oh Lord, help us to walk with a strong faith, believing all that thou hast said. And may we know the smile of heaven upon us, and may we know blessing upon blessing as we go step by step, day by day, year by year, towards our glorious heavenly home. Lord, bless our souls as we part. Be with us each one. Encourage us by the way. May we all grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, more fit and more able and more worthy to bear his name, always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have within, with meekness and with trembling, and never found wanting in place of danger or opportunity. Hear our cries, O God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.